Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy Trials. Hello, students and all other listeners. I am everyone's favorite co-host, the Caleb G. And as you saw from the episode title, we are kicking off a trial of the Orpheus Protocol. To chat about that tonight, we have brought on the air the creator of the game and runner of the podcast, Rob Stith. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing all right, and I think in this academy metaphor, you may be a professor, but I'm the crazy guy on the, on the street corner at the quad with the signs waving around, frothing at the mouth, and not making any sense. That is absolutely correct. I will wholeheartedly grant you that role here in the academy. All right. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to us tonight, Rob. I always love chatting with you. I'm just going to say this flat out before we even get started tonight. The Orpheus Protocol is my favorite game and my favorite podcast to listen to. So, G. Willikers shucks. I am legit embarrassed. So, listeners, if you do not have time for the next 40 minutes or so, you can quit listening right now. That is my review. And stay tuned for our actual play of this trial run gratefully by Rob himself with me and some other RPG Academy players that will be coming up in the following days. But if you are sticking around, which you definitely should, Rob and I are going to chat about the game and the podcast and whatever else comes across the board. Just nerd things. Yeah. So uh, let's start with a bit of an introduction here, Rob. Who are you? My name is Rob Stith. I am a, it's weird to say, but I guess I'm a game designer now. Uh, The Orpheus Protocol is my first game, although that's a bit deceptive. I've been making homebrew games for a really long time because the rules of the games that I got my hands on never quite satisfied me. Uh, And I just love turning things that are fun into work. Uh, so that started early. Um, but I, yes, I created this game, the Orpheus Protocol. It's in a beta testing stage. The podcast itself is a long form campaign that is the beta test of the game. And I, of course, run and GM the podcast and do all the editing and posting and webmastering and just all that boring stuff. Uh, I am also a screenwriter. Uh, John Harp, one of the players on the podcast, is my writing partner. We just recently finished filming our first feature film, uh, The Nightmare Gallery, a horror film starring Amber Benson, who played Tara on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So that was exciting as hell, actually, to work with her. Um, And I try to write other stuff, and it never gets done because I'm doing this podcast. And as we all know, podcasts suck up your entire life. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and there's another thing that goes even deeper. Once you start doing a podcast, you start thinking of other things that you would like to make podcasts about. And sometimes you roll real low on that stability check and you actually start doing it. So look forward to Quinn Wilson and myself doing a ridiculous uh, recap podcast for Riverdale coming up here 
river do's and river don'ts. It's going to be dumb. Well, you have given us a, a great expectation of this show and with voices like yourself and Quinn, who hosts and runs the amazing Swallows of the South podcast, also a proud member of the RPG Academy Network. And that is actually my favorite actual play show. Like, gun to my head, the very delicate balance between crushing personal tragedy and really goofy comedy that they managed to hit uh, at about episode eh, seven or eight of the main first arc and onward definitely makes it a favorite uh, of mine. Yes, I am a big fan of Swallows of the South as well. But we are not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Orpheus. I suppose if we must. <clears throat> wow, I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> so Orpheus has two meanings in this context, which I'm sure you are waggling your eyebrows at because I'm sure it has many more meanings in the uh, crazy person conspiracy room that is your brain developing this story. I promise that they're not all dead and it's not purgatory. And that is all I will say about the future of the story. <laughs> I hope you're not lying. Please don't be lying. I mean, that the lie about that has already been done, too. So that would be doubly lame. <laughs> so don't worry about it. Oh, you play with my emotions like a harp. Which is also a oh. reference to this show, guys. Yeah, gee. So in this context... Orpheus has two meanings. It is the game itself, but it is also the podcast. So let's get uh, an elevator pitch of the game. What is the Orpheus Protocol game? If you've got like three seconds left and the elevator door is opening and the executive still isn't paying attention to you, what you say is the Orpheus Protocol is a game of what if the X-Files were being investigated by the X-Men? It is a game about paranormal investigations and a secretive paramilitary corporation that seeks to contain, har contain and possibly harness these eldritch phenomena, uh, ostensibly for the safety of mankind, but obviously also for personal gain. Blackwater versus Cthulhu. And then that executive hand shoots back out, stops the elevator doors, and takes a meeting. <laughs> we hope. We certainly do. So here is one of my first questions of the night. <clears throat> We've got the story that you are telling us in the podcast. And mm -hmm. listeners, if you are not already obsessing over the story that is being told on the Orpheus Protocol podcast, you need to hit pause go and immediately subscribe and binge every single episode of the Orpheus Protocol. comes out every Monday, and it is the only thing that makes Monday bearable to us corporate drones working in offices nationwide. <laughs> and now that you're back... I'm solely responsible, I guess, for the protection of Monday. That's not fair. James D'Amato's show comes out on Monday. So he's, he's, he's carrying some of that burden with me. I... Uh... Shout out to James D'Amato and the One Shot Podcast. That's fair. That's fair. A little bit of podcast love. 
but we don't care about that. We're talking about Orpheus right now. So <laughs> yeah, you know, you notice that I keep trying to talk about other people's work instead of mine, <laughs> and you notice that I keep bringing us right back. That's why I'm the host. And I notice you noticing me notice, and it's just this whole storm of noticing going on. It's crazy. Oh man, I just failed the stability check. Let me spend some mental strain here. So <laughs> the story of the Orpheus Protocol is exactly what you just pitched to us a second ago there. But you're also playing the game, the Orpheus Protocol. And obviously mm-hmm. they are very intimately related. So where do we draw the line? Where does the story take over the game? And where does the game stand apart from the story? Or does it even? Well, that's a very difficult question to answer with specificity. Um the story that's being told in the podcast is very broad in its scope. Um, epic is a mangled and overused word, but it is rather. Um, but the history of the Orpheus organization, as I have written it, covers a lot more than that campaign does. And the intention, as the game nears completion, is for groups of players and game masters to be able to play in multiple different eras that I uh, will put some detail into, like particularly interesting points in the organization's history to play. These being ancient Greece, uh, London in the turn of the 20th century, and um, World War II throughout the world, and, of course, just modern day uh, in the age of the Internet and drones and facial recognition technology and things like that. Since there's a heavy espionage element, that side of the game has changed a hell of a lot in just a couple of decades. Um, But the game could be used to play something that was outside of the story of Orpheus, Uh, Because mechanically, what the game aims for, what its ludonarrative purpose is, is to create an environment where difficult and tense decisions need to be made by the players about the management of various resources. Um, You roll dice in Orpheus, but and it may not look like it, on your first read through the rules, but uh, Caleb, you've played the game enough to sort of back me up on this now. Like the choices that you make about how to allocate your resources are generally more important over the long haul than what the dice have to say. You're absolutely right. Um, It is very weird to describe a role-playing game as a resource management system but that is absolutely what it is. I mean, you still have some swing. Uh, you can get a bad roll and miss, just like in any other game, or have a fantastic, unlikely success. But over the longer term, you're going to grind yourself to dust if you overuse all of your resources, and you're not going to have enough big successes if you try to hoard them forever and ever. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, it is a resource management game, and in fact, 
the real paradigm shift in how I was approaching homebrew role-playing games that led to the creation of the Orpheus Protocol happened when I became briefly obsessed with European-style board games. Uh, your Catans, your Splendors, your Dominions, things like that, where it really is just like resource engines and resource management, and that's the game, and there's very little luck involved compared to the affectionately termed Ameritrash games uh, that we all grew up with. I mean, that's, that was the, that was the, like, that was the lightning strike that really uh, catalyzed the creation of the Orpheus Protocol was like, oh, mechanics can enhance the emotional experience of a game. I learned that playing my first game of Dread. (laughs) And then I also was like, hey, resource management's really fun, and sometimes it's very tense when you don't know exactly what to do. And I was like, okay, I can create suspense just by having a resource management mechanic, or in this case, a system of several different resource managements. And I thought, okay, if you can create a lot of suspense and tension, that sounds like you could achieve anything on the Jason Bourne to Lovecraft continuum in terms of genre. So I decided to sort of go with both. (laughs) I love the mechanics in the Orpheus Protocol as a game. It took me one or two playthroughs to really grasp onto them. And as I have played it since then, I love it more every single time. I have not yet hit that point where I feel comfortable like I do with an older game that I know backwards and forwards. Sure. And I think that speaks to the tension uh, baked into Orpheus. There is so much pressure about every choice you make and so much emphasis on the consequence of every choice you make. Mm -hmm. You referenced Dread and... I will say right now that both Dread and Orpheus Protocol are, beyond just being two games I love very much, some of, if not maybe the best or the only games that really translate the pressure and tension and stress, anxiety that your characters are facing as you are playing them. Now, I threw something out on Twitter about this a few months ago, and a lot of people replied back with games that mimic the emotions with their mechanics as you're playing them. Mm -hmm. But speaking from personal experience, when I play a game of Orpheus, and I'm faced with a moment of, do I expend this resource... I quite literally am going through those emotional responses. And even though it is a slightly different emotional response than my character might be facing, because my character is facing some ungodly alien mutant that is ripping its way out of the flesh of a person. Yes, an unspeakable living blasphemy boiling forth, etc., etc. Right. So I'm not seeing that, but I'm choosing whether or not to burn the resource of the game, which is strain or use another abilities from my character sheet. There's weight to that choice. 
there's weight to that decision. So I, I may very well be wrong, but hey, here in the RPG Academy, we embrace our errors. So I will again go on record saying that Orpheus Protocol is one of, if not the best games for using its mechanics to mimic, duplicate, and represent the true stressful anxiety horror situations that its characters are facing. Man, that's... uh. I don't even know what to do with that, honestly, Caleb, because that is the number one thing that I care about most in game design, at least in tabletop RPG design, is that ludonarrative unity of the things that you're doing in the game, the choices you're making, the actions you're taking, um, resonating positively with the intended emotional experience of the story. Um, And so, yeah, I wanted to tell you know, thriller-paced, espionage, action, horror, etc. type stories. So I wanted a lot of tension. I wanted nerve-wracking mechanics. Uh, so for you to say that it succeeded at that level is a precious memory already in the one minute that it's been since you said. Well, I, well, first off, you're welcome. I would not say it if it wasn't true. I remember back to the first public quasi public catacon uh, this would be 2015 by now right when we were the year of the vulture the year of the vultures we were sitting in that tiny little room in that lodge in the middle of nowhere Middle. This is legitimate jason comes and kills you kind of a place uh no cell phones Nothing for miles. It was insane. I loved it so much. There there was a forest. There was a lake. There were vultures on the building. People saw cougars in the woods. If these monsters came to life and killed us, no one would have known. <laughs> the only thing that could have made that game we played that night better is if we were in one of the tiny cabins that was even deeper into the woods than our lodge. That's I, true. I would have feared for my life at that point. But I remember sitting down and playing that game. I didn't, honestly, I didn't know you that well at that point in time. I didn't know what Orpheus was. You had just, you came to the con, you harped on me to say, hey, come play this horror game. I said, sure, here's this crazy mountain man with a crazy beard. We played feng shui together (laughs) earlier. Why not? Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite a serendipitous series of events, really, because no one wanted to play this game, right? It, it was the first beta test of a game that no one's heard of by a guy who no one's heard of. Uh, and I actually, I naturally had trouble getting people to sign up and I had people sign up and then cancel and sign up and then suddenly have to leave, et cetera, et cetera. And for some reason we had struck up a tiny bit of a rapport uh, over the course of, I think we played a Cthulhu deck building game very, very early before things really got started. And I just sort of was in that cabin that first night talking to people. Yes, you I was were. Because like, I was there like just kind of saying hello to Jim McClure, uh, who I had already sort of known a little bit. And uh, so you decided to play because I, wa- I didn't have enough players. <laughs> That's actually why you had any exposure to the game at all. Uh, and of course, had you not played that game and formed an opinion of it, 
uh, Stacy wouldn't be on my show. I am the subtle puppet master behind the scenes of Orpheus. And, you know, if if there's no blood cursing and there's no going full Stacy, I don't know what the point of the podcast is, really. <laughs> Guys, if you do not understand that reference, what is wrong with you? I told you already. <laughs> Stop listening and go binge Orpheus. Jeez. Uh, but a, a tiny slice of clarification. Stacy, who is also a player on the Cthulhu and Friends podcast is one of the players in Orpheus as well. And she is a delight. And she is an amazing player in that game. So yeah, that was the very first exposure I had to Orpheus. And that was the night where I was trying to figure out these rules and I was a little bit confused, but the game itself was so intense and there were so many scary, tense horror moments. I still, to this day remember the moment where you handed me a tangible prop <laughs> that was this uh, tea-stained ancient journal with the scribblings of a madman that my character had found in the game, and I pretty much fell backwards from the table because it just slammed into me that true third-act turn in a horror movie moment and i saw the plot folding out and i was still blown away by what was happening and when it when the scary part happened and i knew it was going to happen i was still shaking in my boots about how scary it was and how well you handled this horror moment amazing game amazing first experience that moment (laughs) made me fall in love with the story, with the game, with you. And then we sat around the bar, that horrible, dingy little hotel bar. Oh, my God. It was like a postage stamp. It was so small. I'm pretty sure we had to move tables in, and we were kind of sitting out halfway out the door at one point mm-hmm. because there were so yes. many of us taking over this bar in the middle of November. And by so many, you mean like up to 15 because it's not that big of a bar. Well, you know what? It may have been tiny and cramped, but we probably made the hotel's budget for the year with how oh, much yeah. money we dropped that night. No doubt. No doubt. Um, yeah, I mean, that <laughs> that prop is still sitting on my bookshelf. I'm very <sighs> fond of it. I love that moment. Oh, man. I Guys, I, you know me. I, I've been part of the RPG Academy for years. You know that I tend to be a big numbers power gamer. You know that I tend to love the big, dramatic, heroic, fun action moments. I mean, geez, when I run a game at a convention, at a catacon, I I always run Wushu. Because it's big, it's dumb, it's silly, and you can do crazy fun stuff. That's for sure. (laughs) But Orpheus got its cold, dark claws around my soul. This is not the game you picture professor crunch playing this is a game of being thrilled that you see a three this is a game where (laughs) you are so focused on the minute little details of what's going on and rob this speaks to your skill as a game master as a storyteller as a creator 
if the Orpheus Protocol as a podcast was not doing what it was right now, we would not be having as loving a conversation about this. Not that I don't love the game, but your story is so gripping and enthralling, all of us listeners and diehard fans. Orpheus is a game where you can feel like a superhero. You can have those big damn hero moments. Certainly. And, and then you are immediately crushed with the consequence of that choice. Or delayed crushed, because everything in the game that lets you be powerful, that lets you succeed and excel, is in a way kicking the can down the road. Because either you're depleting your strain, uh, doing amazing, and then being too tired to do amazing again, or you're taking memento mori and just taking an extravagant risk, like doing something amazing, but then the GM is given license to kind of stick it to you at a later point. Or maybe you're using your abilities a lot, your supernatural enhanced abilities, which give you a lot of success and erode your soul, whittle away at your humanity until there's nothing left. Uh, so everything that you can do to improve your odds has a cost that is delayed a variable amount of time. Um, and that kind of was just a consequence of my central design philosophy of being like, okay, for every success in a scenario that a player wants to have, I want to put the maximum number of difficult and nerve-wracking choices between them and that success that I can comfortably do to, to where it's something that we can all keep in our heads and it doesn't become cumbersome. And part of doing that was making the timing of the consequences of these things slightly different. Uh, so the memento mori tends to have immediate consequences, but a huge front-loaded gain. Strain use has a consequence later on when you realize you don't have enough for the thing you want to do. And abilities are a much longer, like, campaign scale consequence where if you overuse the supernatural aspects of your character you begin to lose track of what makes you human and all in all that makes for just a marvelous stressful anxiety ridden being terrified of the lows being thrilled by the highs game experience i have rolled the dice many times and just cringed at what I knew you were about <laughs> to do to my character. And I have rolled the dice and just been ecstatic at my successes, even if it was just by one. And for some salient examples of that, listen to the upcoming episodes, because there were definitely both. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, indeed. So, uh, yeah, the, the next few episodes that you guys are going to be listening to, first off, amazing game. Flat out fantastic. Not what I expected at all when you uh, pitched this game to us, Rob. I, I love it. I was surprised by a lot of what happened. There were a couple moments where I was trying to temper my character knowledge with my player knowledge, trying to second-guess the story, and I knew you were just laughing at me behind the microphone because I was so off base. And I loved every second of it. And uh, wow, I totally forgot what I was just saying as I was going on that rant. <laughs> wow, I, I just loved it so much. Um, so yeah, it, it was a fantastic game. It, there's some 
great uh, examples of, of what this game can do. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Uh, thank you for editing this. Jeez, Rob, you, you are so busy with your own podcast and all your other side projects and convention games and traveling the country to talk about and promote Orpheus. You stepped up and volunteered to edit and produce these next few episodes of the game. Guys, you're going to be listening to some amazingly edited and produced with amazing music, uh, actual play episodes here. You are in for a treat. And, well, and, you know, you're welcome, but I can only conditionally take credit for that because it's just as much that I'm a huge perfectionist about Orpheus content as anything, like... If someone's going to edit it, it may as well be me so that I can, you know, just sand off all the rough edges and, and get some music that really fits the mood and get all the levels right and stuff. I, I just have sort of developed a probably overly anal retentive and time consuming process for producing podcast episodes over the course of this deal. And uh, I now I can't stop. And the quality shows in every episode we listen to how many episodes deep is the podcast right now you're coming up on a big number i think right we have 46 episodes in the main storyline and then two bonus episodes that we just actually dropped at the time of us recording this uh last monday this this monday that just passed um which was it was just a promotional thing that i did where i announced that if the Orpheus at Orpheus Protocol Twitter account got sufficient number of followers. Uh, we got a sufficient number of iTunes reviews, and fans reached out and got together and solved a series of ARG puzzles that I put together because that's another thing that I like doing. Uh, I would release these secret bonus episodes. And so this Monday, rather than the standard you know, 45 minutes to an hour and a half episodes that I release, they really vary based on what's happening in the story. I don't go for like a solid, like this is the exact amount of time for each thing. Um, instead of that, they got three hours and 50 minutes of um, just a complete standalone adventure. And I shotgunned those four hours of audio. I feel sorry for your uh, sanity. <laughs> well, I was listening to some of it on Monday uh, while I was working from home on a project. I was listening to some of it. I was uh, I was falling asleep Monday night, and I woke up early Tuesday morning, and then I took a, a slightly longer than normal lunch at work to finish it. Uh, <laughs> oh, it was it was some good stuff. So, yeah, you're, you're... we had a we had a blast recording that. Uh, it's funny because if you've listened to the entire run of the show you'll note that there's actually a fair bit more joking around on the bonus episodes than you would often hear in the main storyline and that's because they were recorded early enough that my players didn't know what i was going to do to them yet well that makes a lot of sense so yeah you're you you've got about 50 episodes uh you're coming up i think on the one year anniversary as well right um, yes, we are heading up on the one-year anniversary of episodes being released. I I started recording a long time before uh, starting to drop episodes, which I'm glad that I did because, honestly, we're getting to the point where it's getting really scary running into maybe really deep into our backlog. 
and I've been able to put an episode out every Monday since we launched so far. Uh, and only because I spent a long time getting content in advance. Because uh, scheduling podcasts, you don't even know, unless you've tried it, how terrible it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're headed up to the one-year anniversary. It's shortly after a catacon. Uh, that's That actually makes a catacon even more nostalgic for me. Already my favorite convention. But a couple weeks after, it becomes the anniversary. Which, uh, it's the third Monday of November. Basically, the second to last Monday of November is when it released. I think it was like the 21st or something like that last year, and it's going to be the 20th this year. But yeah, that's the anniversary. And uh, for that, in recognition or celebration of that, um, I'm actually going to have a very special different kind of episode uh, for the anniversary. It's going to be some dude named Caleb. I don't know. I'll have to look into whether he's cool or not. Some jerk. Uh, is going to be sort of hosting, I guess, the anniversary celebration where we he sort of does some light interviewing of the cast and myself, and we will have had questions and answers open uh, for, like, Twitter and Discord and email and all that stuff for a couple of weeks previous to that, and we're going to answer a bunch of listener questions, both for me, for specific cast members, just for everybody, and just sort of uh, reflect back on our experience so far uh, making this show. And, uh, yeah, just kind of looking back on the memories of all the insanity that we've faced together. So it's probably fair to say that some questions will be off the table, such as, explain it all to me, Rob, now. Yeah, uh, like, what's going to happen what does this mean? Mm-mm. I subscribe to the David Lynch theory of like people, you make a movie and then everybody wants to talk to you about it and find out what it means, but that you already did it. You made the movie. The movie is the talking. Uh, that's, that's kind of how I approach the deeper meanings and like hidden double meanings and layers and stuff in the story is like, if you can figure it out and it makes sense to you, good. Death of the author. Your interpretation is valid. Um, I have stuff in my head and I'm trying to portray it. And if I succeed, you'll get it. If I don't, I'm not going to worry about it too much. It's been fun. I, I both love that and hate that, Rob. That's just it's wonderful and terrible. You should. <laughs> that, that's kind of how I feel anytime we play a game together. I, I love it mm-hmm. and I hate it. And and I I want to walk away and storm off, but then come back and talk about how great it was. That's that's a normal <laughs> Rob reaction to yeah, any I Rob game. At this point, that's basically that's basically true. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we circle back and talk a little bit about the game itself? Uh, as you said earlier, the Orpheus Protocol is a game in development. Uh, people who want to try the game out, can swing over to your website and give it a try, right? Yep, orpheusprotocol.com. There's a section called The Game where you can download the most recently stably tested version of the rules. So it's been really cool to listen to the podcast for many reasons, mostly being the story, but also because we've seen the game evolve. That's true. The game has changed a lot from episode one to episode 46 
I think you just said. Yeah, um, but not in some of the very core ways. Uh, so don't don't think that it's a uh, a completely amorphous game. I, I would I would describe most of what's gone on as uh, fine tuning and uh, like adding quality of life uh, features to the game. Absolutely, the game itself is a I think it's safe to say skill based system. You're not b- taking levels. You're not getting a level one fighter, a level two bard. Yeah, there there are levels, but all the levels really determine is how much access you have to skills and additional attributes and how many ability ranks you have and stuff like that. Very interestingly, PCs have six basic skills, six basic stats, I should say. Yeah, attributes in the nomenclature of the game. Attributes, I apologize. I'm probably going to suffer for that next time we play. Um, uh, I'm not that. I'm not that petty. <laughs> um, I'm, I mean, honestly, I'm just going to mess with people anyway. So. Yeah. Uh, and then there are a series of skills. Interestingly, the rank of the skill, instead of being a modifier that you apply to your role, as you would think in a typical D twenty level based game, instead tells you how you can apply those resources to your role. Correct. So, for example, you roll three fate die, and then you add your attribute. Then you can look at the rank of the skill. So, for example, if you had rank two in the skill, that would tell you how much of the strain or the related resource you can apply to modify that role. Whereas, That's right. If, if you don't have a skill, you can always spend one strain of the appropriate type to boost your role by one. But if you start getting ranks and skills, not only does the limit of how much strain you can spend go up, you get other skill features that make your results with it more efficient. Uh, past rank two, you're not making the maximum you can get on a check any higher. You can never spend more than three strain on one check. But you do start getting things like re-rolls, or the ability to make your actions with that skill go faster, or eliminating negative dice from your rolls, and things like that. So what you're really getting is less randomness. The more skilled you are with something, the more reliable your results are. And of course, all of these abilities are also resources in the fact that they are limited to the number of times they can be used per scene of the game yes, you are the, playing. Yes, the skill, the skill features are on a per scene basis, so that is a, yet another resource that you need to be mindful of. Which is why many times in our actual play, you will hear us say the questions like, this is a new scene, right? Hope, <laughs> with a, hopefully with a quiet edge of desperation oh it's not quiet when i ask that's desperate that's and loud uh but the strain that we have talked about the strain beyond being a resource you can spend also kind of represents hit points in my opinion it's more like the endurance your your mental your spiritual your physical endurance you do have yeah. a health track but you have a separate pool of this strain that you can spend. Yeah, to clarify, the same exact resource, the strain, that you're using to boost your check results 
is also able to be used to buy down damage that you take. So even when you're deciding to use strain to make yourself better at something, you're still making the choice also to have less in reserve to keep yourself safe. Uh, so that's yet another point of potential anxiety, I guess you can say. And speaking from experience... There is a lot of anxiety when we watch that strain pool drop. Well, and the, and the other use for strain, much less important than the ludonarrative uh, function of just making it tense and suspenseful, is that it's a little more explicit than in a game like D&D, that, like, your wound track, that's your meat. That is your body. That is how damaged you are. And the strain is things like luck and effort and toughness and things like that. Um... Similarly to how in, I believe, the very, very early versions of D&D, there was something that it said, well, no, like, you don't have 80 times as much meat as a buffalo as, like, a high-level fighter. You just are lucky and tough and good at dodging and stuff like that, and it's those last four hit points that are actually your body. And then they sort of stopped saying that, and it got into this whole confusing thing about hit points that now everybody uh, speculates about. Uh, in, In Orpheus... Your wounds are you, like how well you are functioning, how damaged you are. Your strain is all that other more ephemeral stuff. And the first few times I played this game, I kind of had a difficult time grasping the rules. But now that I have listened to it in the actual play, now that I have gotten my hands on it and been a character multiple times in in different games... It makes a lot of sense, and it is all focused back on the consequences, in my opinion. That's my perception of this game. Mm-hmm. The resource management is is there to reinforce the consequences of the genre, that espionage genre, the horror genre. When you play that type of game in almost any other mechanical system, it can be very difficult to evoke the nature of the story. The way Strain works specifically in Orpheus Protocol, it forces you to really visually see with that pile of chips in front of you or that (laughs) lowering number on the computer screen how important is this choice in front of me right now? When I roll the die and I know I've gotten a, let's say a three on a check you've asked me to make, I can say, you know, I feel this is more important. I'm going to bump that up to a five. But I can immediately see my dwindling resource for the next time I get punched in the face by a vampire. Yeah, when I was designing the game, once it got past like the first sloppy step where I'm just throwing stuff together that I that I kind of liked and and hadn't yet sort of brought order out of the chaos I realized that the point of the game is to create as many tense resource decisions as possible and to try to interrelate the different resources and decisions with one another um for example um your character has a thing called motivations that tracks the things that they want most. And 
how you roleplay your character determines, in many ways, the rate at which you refresh strain or humanity. If you play like a power-hungry murder hobo, you get strain back. You're very powerful. You're, you're focused on, you're attuned to your non-human side as, a, or as an Orpheus operative with access to unnatural powers. But you're not getting humanity back. And you're sure spending it when you're using your abilities. Whereas if you roleplay in a way that affirms your humanity, uh, a more stereotypically heroic way is a way to put it, you're going to recharge humanity. You're going to be safe from succumbing to your the dark side of your nature. But you might be running out of resources to be successful with. Uh, you, you might not be able to pull off as many absurd stunts as someone who's you know, burning hot and leaving their soul unattended. As I said earlier, the mechanics of the Orpheus Protocol as a game make every choice tangibly stressful. That's not a bad thing. That That is something that makes it very worthwhile in the gaming and role-playing experience it's not just if if that's what you want i think it's not you're absolutely i I don't think you should use these rules to play certain kinds of games because there is a very like i said the ludo narrative weight of this game has kind of a gravitational pull like any game that you play with these mechanics is going to start feeling like a darker story which leads me to believe that you could really make a pretty bitchin conan campaign in the Orpheus Protocol. Just get rid of the guns and have swords instead. Well, I need to play that game right the hell now. <laughs> I'm going to assume that if we went back to ancient Greece for the mythology, it could have to go back even further, right? I mean, sure. <laughs> Let's go for it. I, I love me some Conan. Um you know, if you weren't already planning an epic Orpheus event at a catacomb this year, I would make you run that coding game, but <laughs> that's not going to happen. That's well, fine. It, if there's ever if there's ever time for me to do more bonus games, that's that's on the back burner now because I am liking that more the more I think about it, which is dangerous. Oh yes, putting ideas in your head is a bad thing. So normally, when we have a trial like this, we are talking about what's happening with the game. Many times we are talking about a game that is headed to Kickstarter, or talking about a game that is being released or has a new edition coming out. Sure. That is not the case of the Orpheus Protocol right now. So why don't we talk a little bit about what is happening with Orpheus? We talked about how the game is continuing to develop, We talked about how the podcast is continuing and the game is evolving through that extended beta test. You even mentioned a couple things about potentially players being able to experience the world of Orpheus at different important points in its timeline. But honestly, what's next for Orpheus? What's happening? Well, um... (laughs) right at this moment i'm actually preparing a new adventure that i'm going to run on role-playing public radio with ross payton and several friends 
uh, which is going to be fun. That's going to be kind of uh, another really nice milestone for me is is running the game on podcasts that I have been a fan of. Uh, so getting to go on RPG Academy as I have and and participate in a catacon as I have was was one step in my plan. Uh, and and now you know doing uh, doing those side quest episodes for Cthulhu and friends was yet another box that I got to check off and so RPPR is next uh, and that that should be a blast. Uh, then of course, a catacons happening and not content to merely run one game this time, both Dan, a, one of the stars of the show, and myself are running three adventures of the Orpheus Protocol three games at a catacon and they are three game series where you sign up for all three of them so it is a mini campaign played over the course of the convention culminating in an epic crossover finale the third part of both adventure paths is the same giant double-sized game and that ladies and gentlemen is why rob is so damn busy (laughs) that is that is part of it uh and um in terms of other stuff coming up, uh, the year one Q&A anniversary special, uh, you know, stay tuned to that. Because, like, in terms of, like, a State of the Union for Orpheus, that's going to definitely be where I where I drop the biggest uh, information about that. Because it's just fitting, you know? Absolutely. At some point in the future, will eager fans be able to obtain the Orpheus playbook absolutely um when the rules are solid when my perfectionist nonsense is ready to say that they're done i already have a few people lined up to work on the book with and like you said you had trouble grasping the rules initially it will probably be easier to grasp them when layout has been done by like a functional adult human uh, Which and, let's clarify: n- neither of you, neither you nor I, are doing that. We are not functional uh, adult humans. Uh, so, I'm, I've got someone who's going to do the layout and uh, manage some of the art direction. I have a couple of artists who are interested in in contributing to the book. Obviously, I'm going to once the mechanics are as solid as possible, make the language on a technical writing level as easy and clean as possible uh and the big draw for the kickstarter which i'm sure i might be preempting a question since the rules are free and already available on my website why would you want the book unless you're just a fan and you want all the art and special cool stuff like that well i'm gonna write a big old gm section because the one thing that's not in the public available publicly available rules is how to gm the game and Honestly, part of the reason for that is that I'm still learning. I'm still improving as a GM as I go. Um, And as the rules change, I adapt. And uh, when the rules are more solid, when they're finally at the point where I'm like, yes, this is publishable. This This is the actual legitimate first edition of the game. I'm going to feel also at that same time confident enough to write a big old section about how to run the game and when different tips and tricks and best practices for game mastering the Orpheus protocol, uh, along with a bunch of details about the setting that are only theories in the audience right now. And I will make, I will set them in stone <laughs> in the book 
and uh, details about how to play in these different time frames and things like that. And that is what gets my money spent on this project. I need the how-to reality of Orpheus. That's what I want. And I'm gonna, and I'll try to keep the uh, GM theory pontification to a minimum, if possible. <laughs> <laughs> as long as we get the uh, crazy person conspiracy room answers to all of our mad theories i'm happy you can talk there's for... there's no way i'll have room to answer all of them have you seen the discord oh yes there I are have. lots of theories <laughs> yes that that's why every morning one i first off i turn off notifications at night and two i yes, log back too. in and it says 56 unread messages god damn it and some of them are very long um the community that has started to spring up around this game is so awesome i don't deserve it it's so fantastic. Um, if you'd like to take a look at some of all this crazy theorizing and generally nice, supportive hanging out going on in the Discord, uh, follow me on Twitter at Orpheus Protocol. In the bio of that Twitter account and in the current pinned tweet is a permanent link to the Orpheus Protocol Discord. And be prepared to scroll back for many, many days to catch up on everything when you do jump in. <laughs> it's a it's a surprisingly happen in little place. And of course, all of those links will be in the show notes for this very podcast. Rob, I want to thank you again for taking time to chat with me for this hour, taking time to run the game that everyone is about to listen to, and investing so much of yourself into this amazing game and podcast. Fight through that imposter syndrome. You are doing an amazing job. And so many of us love you for everything that you do. Thank you for making the Orpheus Protocol real. Well, and thank you for liking it, because that's what makes it worthwhile. Absolutely. So uh, one more time, let's have a mention of where we can find you online, Twitters, websites, and the like. And then we will head on out of the classroom. All right, let's see if I can get this all in one go without screwing it up. OrpheusProtocol.com has all of the episodes as well as the rules of the game and various other fun stuff. You can also follow the show at OrpheusProtocol on Twitter, uh, where I generally make announcements about rules and episodes coming out and things like that. I am at Lord of the Stith, that's S-T-I-T-H, my last name, on Twitter. And as I said, you can find the Discord uh, within the Orpheus Protocol Twitter account. And obviously, subscribe to us on iTunes uh, or Google Play or whatever your podcast app of choice is, because those subscriber numbers give me great confidence in what I have chosen to spend entirely too much of my time on. Absolutely. Hit subscribe as soon as you swing over. If you haven't already, leave him a review. Leave him five stars. It makes you feel good. It makes Rob feel good. I felt <laughs> great when I left my review. Plus, it helped get us the uh, bonus episodes we just heard this week. And, you know, there's there's no telling when I might pull a crazy stunt like that again. And, like, maybe at some point if a certain number of reviews drop, maybe a Conan thing will happen. I don't know, just spitballing off the top of my head. All right, well, uh, let's put a cap on that before we start playing that game right now. Right here on the air live, yep. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, 
stay tuned for our actual play of the Orpheus Protocol. Having already survived, if only barely, this game, I assure you that you are in for an amazing treat. And it will be a wonderful time. And terrifying and gut-wrenchingly sad and miserable. And a little bit gross. <laughs> yeah, a lot gross. Uh. <laughs> don't don't eat while you're listening to this episode. Let's just say that. Don't yeah, don't eat. No, no sandwiches. No sandwiches. Just let it go. Just enjoy the oh episode. Boy. Empty stomach. So for Rob, for everyone at the Orpheus Protocol, for everyone at the RPG Academy Network and myself, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. I better pick my signs back up and go back out to the quad to shout about the end of the world some more. So thanks for having me. Make sure you don't get hit by the hacky sacks. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize, but we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.